Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. So I have, uh, I got this friend on Facebook, and it's probably a friend like a lot of you guys have, a friend where you went to high school with them, but you don't know them for anything. And so this friend I've got on Facebook, I've got to admit, there's something about him that kind of drives me crazy. He's on his main Facebook page. His slogan that he he has up on his Facebook page is, "I am the hero in my story." And I'm gonna be honest with you, drives me nuts. Okay, and there's pictures all the time about like his big, huge, beautiful new house he's got and doing all his day trading, and and he's got like a Lamborghini or something like that. Yeah, I'd like to have the car, but. There's just something about that I am the hero in my own story. But then I, I get to thinking about it, and I'm like, i got to give the guy credit. At least he's got the guts to say it. Because in all truthfulness, I think a lot of us, we are the hero in our story. And we don't maybe say, I don't say it out loud, but the thoughts that go through our heads tend to kind of lead us towards that. Um, scenario that I could throw out there for you. So I'm at home all day with my kids. Say it's my day off. My wife is working. I've got the kids at home. Um, I can be an awful dad all day long. I'm on my phone the whole time. Or they're like, hey, can we watch a show? I'm like, please, watch 12 of them, whatever. You know, just whatever, let me rest. And not doing anything with them, really. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, it's an hour left, and my wife's going to come home. And then I become like a drill sergeant. And it's like, hey, kids, go make your beds. Comb your hair. Your, parent, your mother will think that I've done nothing with you. Because four girls, hair all over the place. Oh, I forget that I've got long hair and I just messed it up. I don't even know if it looks good anymore. Um, so, and I, I, I'm like doing all this stuff in the last hour. I go into the kitchen. I take care of all the dishes, clean them up. I put together a lame dinner. Uh, then maybe I've got a few extra minutes. So for about five minutes, I run around the couch with my two youngest daughters. And I'm chasing after them, making them scream. Then I get them down. I start tickling them. They're laughing. And then I sit down just before Crystal walks through the door, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I am a great dad. I have, I mean, the last five minutes, they have been running around smiling and laughing. Like, I should have a trophy because I am dadding it up. And every woman right now is like, you're thinking two things. A, men are awful. Yes, we are awful. And B, I don't know what the other thing is, but you're thinking two things. And <laughs> that's, that's our lives. We have this thing in us where it's like, man, I'm just, I'm amazing. I am the hero of the world. It's just kind of what we, here's the thing. I don't think that this love for heroism is altogether bad. I think that there's something actually in it. We have these visions of wanting to be a hero someday. We have these visions of wanting people to look at our lives and, and be inspired by it. And that's a good thing. We look at other people's lives, and we see the, hero, the heroism in other people's lives, and, we're, and we love it. We're encouraged by it. If you're anything like me, you're, maybe you're on Facebook or Twitter or on YouTube, and you, you get attracted to videos that have titles like, Random Stranger Saves Random Stranger. And you watch the video, and you've got tears in your eyes. Like, that was so sweet. I love those videos. I had one this week where... Uh, it was a uh, Rock County Sheriff's office officer. 
I don't know the terminology, okay? But he was working with the sheriff's office. And he was shoveling out the end of a driveway of a lady. It was a really cool thing. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. Because, you know, you, you snowstorm comes through and you shovel out your whole driveway and get it all taken care of. And then the plows come through and they put the whole storm back in the beginning of your driveway. I hate it. But this guy helped this woman. And every one of us, we watch stories like that and we're like, oh, it's just cool. I wish everybody was like that. And the popular thing that everybody says on social media, oh, I have my hope back in humanity because of that. All right. It's kind of a lame thing to have our hope back in humanity for probably. But here's what I love about our infatuation with heroes. It represents the good that's in us. See, I think that God actually has put in us this love for heroism. You've you cheer for the person, the, 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 the guy or the woman at the end of the movie who has done everything right, who has shown character, who has shown courage. And when they win out at the end of the movie, we cheer for it because we're like, that is, that's right. We, we love what is right, what is courageous, what's strong. And I think that's why we love the story of David and Goliath. You know, we're going through this Jesus Storybook Bible series. Today we get to go through probably Maybe one of the most, if not the most popular stories in the Old Testament. And it's a story when you talk about heroism, that's probably the story that you point your kids to. Or that kids would be like, who's a hero in the Bible? After Jesus, they'll be like, David. Because that's, that's what we find in David. And David gives us this ultimate story of hero because David's the little guy who takes out the big guy. Us little guys love that story. I know that. And we see it all around us. You see it in sports where an underdog goes up against a favorite and uh, this, you know, underdog against the great team. And even the announcers will say it's, hey, it's a David and Goliath story. We see it in romantic comedies when this lovable loser dude goes after this girl who he should never be able to get and he finds a way to get her to marry him. We see it in the story of the tortoise and the hare. It's in all of us. We think about, man, I'm, you know, I'm just a little person in the world. I want to make a big impact. It's all the story of David and Goliath. And for the most part, the story of David and Goliath, it gives us hope because it gives us this thing that we can look at and say, you see, even me, the little guy, we, I, can, I can do something great. You give me just a little bit of courage. You give me a, a scary, bad situation in life. Uh, give me just maybe a little bit of God and bam, I can become a hero. And we like that idea. And so that's, we look at this story. We like the story of David because we all like the idea of becoming a hero. But I'm just going to leave you with this question before we get into the story. Is that really what this story is about? About us becoming the hero? So the story of uh, David and Goliath, it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to start off in verse 2. And I'm going to read a lot of it straight out of scripture. And I'm just going to tell some of the story to fill in some of the gaps. So here we go. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And I looked it up for you this week. It was nine feet, nine inches. I want to put in perspective for you what nine feet, nine inches is. A basketball hoop is ten feet tall. A crossbar on a field goal post in football is 10 feet tall. So Goliath, that's a big dude. 
And most scholars actually think that David was about five, six-ish. Perspective there, I'm five, four and a quarter. So you're talking like me versus a basketball hoop. That's David versus Goliath. Okay, so we get to verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? I am, not a, am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. We will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and they were terrified. So you've got this one dude, Goliath, going into this valley. And for 40 days straight, he's yelling up to the hill to all these Israelites and saying, come down and fight me. He's challenging all of them. And they're literally terrified. A whole army of people is terrified of this one guy. And David's three oldest brothers, they are actually in Saul's army. <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. The throat's starting to go. But Israel has got this army up there. David's three oldest brothers are up on the hill. They're trying to fight with Saul. David, the youngest of seven, uh, the youngest of eight, is back at his home. He's tending to the, the, the shepherd. He's doing the shepherding thing, tending to the sheep. And his brother, his dad, Jesse, decides, hey, I want you to take some food out to your brothers. And so Jesse gives David grain and bread and cheese to take to his brothers and to their commander. One thing you want to know about this story, the fact that it's so detailed that they're saying he's bringing cheese to his brothers, it's actually a really good indication that this is a real story. Because they don't use, back then, they don't use that kind of detail in stories that they're just kind of telling. So there's, there's a lot of detail here. And so David comes and he brings this food to his brothers. He leaves it with the supplier of the army. And he goes out to the battle lines to talk to his brothers, see how they're doing. And the moment that he gets there, he sees Goliath come out into the valley and he gives his challenge for the day. And it doesn't sit well with David. There's just something about it he doesn't like. And so he starts asking around. In verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? If you've got your kids in here this morning, there's a word that you get to explain to them later. All right? I'm not going to do it now. And so David's asking, what What's God going to, what's the, the king going to do for the guy who kills this dude? And so the soldiers tell David what the king will do is three things. He's going to give that person great wealth. He's going to give that person his daughter in marriage. And he's going to allow that person and his family never to pay taxes again. Boom. And so David's like, I don't care about the first two. I don't want to pay taxes ever again. Let me have him. That's what I would have said. I'd just been like, I just don't want the taxes. I'm sick of my property taxes going up every year. But he's like, guys, we got to do something about this. And so he keeps talking around. And eventually word gets to Saul. And Saul is like, who's this kid talking about taking out Goliath? Bring him to me. And when that happens, David gets even more gutsy. And he says this, verse 32. David said to Saul, 
Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight, and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been fighting his father's sheep, fighting, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me out of the, from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I don't know why Saul told him to go. There's nothing in this where you're like, yeah, Saul should have confidence in this kid. But Saul gives him his gear. Now, Saul was probably, the Bible talks about him being a strong, big dude. He was probably over six feet, and he gives all of his gear to David. The stuff doesn't fit David. And he's like, I can't, I can't even walk in this. So he puts the gear down. He goes down to the stream in the valley, and he's, he kneels down at the stream, and he picks out five smooth stones out of that stream, and he puts them in his pouch. And he grabs his sling, and he walks out to Goliath this nine-foot, nine-inch giant. And the moment he walks out there, Goliath starts laughing at him. Verse 43, Goliath says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give, you your, I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the, the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine, and he killed him. I'm telling you, when I read this story, it's hard for me not to get jacked up. Like, I was, I read it again. I hadn't read it for probably a while, and I read it this week as I was going through this. And I was just, like, excited. And I don't know if it's a short guy in me that's just like, yeah, get the big guy. I don't know what it is. But there's something in me that loves it. This story is awesome. Okay, so this is the story of David and Goliath. And what is the moral of the story? See, I think most of the time, this is what we see as the moral of this story. If you step up with courage, God's going to help you defeat all of the challenges and all of the enemies in your life. If I just step up and let God do something big in me, man, I'm going I'm to do great things for God. I'm going to get rid of all my enemies. I'm going to get rid of all these challenges. I'm going to do something big. But is that really the point of the story? See, I'm at the point where I just, I don't think that that's what the number one point of the story is. Is it a part of the story? Yes. Does God want to help us do great, awesome, big things? Yes. But as I was talking about it last week, we talked about Joseph and we talked about the cupbearer. And last week I, I said, I think that there is a better story to tell in the story of Joseph. And I'm saying the th same thing this morning. I think there's a better story to tell. 
I think there's a better story to tell than just the one that focuses on me when I'm looking at the story of David and Goliath. You see, I think we make this problem way too often. When we read the Bible, I read the Bible to say, okay, God, what does this say about me? When I think the whole time, God's saying, ask what it says about me. What's the Bible say about me? Okay? So, so I should be coming to the Bible. Not what does it say about me, God, but God, what does this Bible, what does this story say about you? And it changes everything. This story is not meant, I don't think, to be a story of I look at David and Goliath and I say, okay, I'm supposed to be a warrior hero for God. Now the story is about how God has become the warrior, warrior hero for us. And so I might, I'm going to try and challenge you with a few things this morning as we talk about this. Um, and something that it would kind of come into my brain when I was a kid when we'd go through this story. There was something always that didn't sit right with this idea that David was this great big underdog. Um, a few years ago, it kind of brought to light when I was reading something actually by, uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. A lot of you have probably read stuff from Malcolm Gladwell uh, or listened to his podcast. And he has a book that's really interesting called David and Goliath. And in the story, he's talking about how the underdogs that we see so often at the time, we see them as underdogs, but they're not really underdogs. And he's, he makes a really good point that there's a lot of times, it's really common for us to look at life and see an underdog when it's not really that. Um, let, me, let me give you some examples of that before we talk about David and Goliath. Okay, the story of Rocky and Drago in Rocky IV. If you've never seen this movie, go home today and watch it. It's the best Rocky movie of all, okay? So you got Rocky and Drago, and Drago is this big, huge Russian dude who's taking steroids all the time. He is just massive. He's... He punches harder than anybody in the world. He actually killed, in a boxing ring, he killed Apollo Creed, Rocky's best friend. It was a sad day for everybody that loved Rocky movies. And so Rocky decides, hey, I'm going to fight Drago. And even Rocky's wife says, you can't win. Exactly like that, too. It was almost a, that was almost the right pitch. And so he's going to fight Drago, and everybody's like, Rocky is the underdog. They even said, the announcers in the movie even said, it's, it's David versus Goliath. But I want to question who is really the underdog. Okay, so you've got Rocky. Rocky has steel for a head. Not for real, okay? But he gets punched so much and so many brain cells are gone that it doesn't matter anymore. He can just take hits all the time. Drago killed his best friend, so he's got a lot pushing him. But there's another thing why I don't think he's the underdog. It's a movie. I don't know if you understood that about that when you were watching it, but it's a movie. And so here's the thing. A Russian is not going to beat an American twice in one American-made movie. This is not going to happen. So you've got to know that while he looks like the underdog, he's not the underdog, okay? I'm on a, a second movie that explains this. The movie is called <sighs> Unstoppable. I, I forgot for a second, but it's called Unstoppable. And it's with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. And the whole movie is about this runaway train takes off and it's got all these chemical things that if it if it crashes it's going to blow up and thousands of people are going to die and so these guys get onto this onto this train and it's going like 70 miles an hour they find a way on and the brakes go off everything is just it looks like the ultimate underdog situation and at the end there's this big corner it's got to go around they've got to slow it up enough somehow and it almost falls off the track they save the day looks like an underdog moment 
But I'm going to tell you, I was, ta- I was going through and reading about this true life story. It's based on a true story is what the, the movie says. In real life, the train was going 10 miles an hour. 10 miles an hour. Like, I can run that. You, like, they're, they're like jumping on the 70 mile an hour. You could just run with it and be like, there, I'm on it. This wasn't even a big enough story to get on the news, barely. And it made into this big, huge movie. One more underdog story, and this one's a true life one. We've all probably heard this story. The company Apple. Most of us, probably 60% of us in here, have an Apple product sitting in our pockets. And this was one of the classic underdog stories. A lot of us know the names of two of the the founders of of Apple, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. What we don't know is in 1976, a lot of us don't know that it was actually started by three college college dropouts. The other guy's name was Ronald Wayne, I think. Something like that. Yes, Ronald Wayne. I I was right on the first time. What you don't know about Ronald Wayne, one of the other founders of Apple, three months after they started Apple in a garage, he sold his shares to the other two guys for $800. Not a real good decision, if you know what I mean. Even to one of the founders of Apple, Apple seemed like an underdog story. But what the founders, the other guys didn't even realize is one of the guys that was on that team, Steve Jobs, was literally one of the greatest innovators that this country has ever known. They just didn't realize it. So while it looked like an underdog company, it really wasn't. They were primed to make it big. And so I want to go back to the story of David and Goliath, because this is what I love about this story. I think we've gotten it wrong the whole time as to who was the underdog. Goliath, and Malcolm Gladwell talks about Goliath. Dude was nine feet nine inches tall. The odds are if he's nine feet nine inches tall, he probably has some kind of a growth issue. And one of those things that he probably has is something called acromegaly. And what it is is it's this overproduction of the growth hormone in the pituitary gland. And what happens with that is your head grows really big, your hands grow really big, your feet grows really big. Another thing that happens with it, your eyes go really bad. So I want you to think about this for a second. You've got Goliath, who probably has vision, vision issues, but also he's got ginormous feet, ginormous head. This guy can't move. He is an immobile object sitting down there in that valley when it comes to wartime. Now, you don't want to go hand-to-hand combat against Goliath because his reach with his spear and with his sword, you can't get close enough to him. He's going to kill you every time. But David had something different going on. David had a different kind of combat. See, David didn't even wear the gear that everybody else wore in war in that time. War was supposed to be done with a spear, with a javelin, with a sword. And he came to it with a gun. See, what you don't realize is this slingshot, he was working, practicing this slingshot every day when he was bored watching the sheep. He'd be flinging this stuff at trees. And then when an animal would come, he'd take out that thing with a slingshot. The slingshot actually was equivalent, they say, to about a 45 caliber gunshot in terms of its power. David was coming with a completely different kind of weaponry. To me, what this is, this is an army standing out in the desert, waiting, looking out in the desert for tanks to come, and then drones drop bombs on them. That's the difference here. David was bringing a completely different kind of war that nobody was ready for. But the Israelite army, 
The Israelite army was up on that hill, and it didn't matter how many of them there were. They didn't know how to use a sling. They didn't have guns and cannons. If they were going to beat Goliath, they, somebody had to come down to Goliath and go hand-to-hand combat. That wasn't going to work. So here's the question. Who do you usually identify with in this story? Who's the person that you look at in the story and you're like, that's who I am. That's who I'm supposed to be. Almost every time we go, I'm supposed to be David. God's going to do awesome big things through me. But the truth is, you and I, we're the Israelites up on the hill. We're the ones that we don't know how to fight the fight that needs to be fought. We need a savior. We need somebody to come in and rescue us and take care of what we can't take care of. And so here's what I want you to realize is an important thing for us to remember this morning. I am not the hero in my story. I'm not the hero in my story, and I'm never going to be the hero in my story. The Israelites weren't the hero. David was the hero. I'm not David. See, the Bible is not a, a message that is meant to show us how great we can be. The Bible is a message that is meant to tell us how great God is. Plain and simple. Jesus doesn't just come into this story and give us the ability to have a great victory over sin and death and destruction. What Jesus does is he himself comes into the story and he gives us victory. He doesn't just give us the ability to to make victory for ourselves. He literally gives us victory. See, David didn't just come in and give the, the Israelites a chance for victory. He gave them victory. He gave it to them. They didn't do anything for that victory. But they got to have all of the benefits of the victory that David gave them. He came in as a savior. He came in as a rescuer. You see, while David's brothers probably had a little bit of experience with a sword, my bet is that David had twice the amount of experience with a slingshot that all three of his older brothers had with a sword. David was primed and ready for the fight against Goliath that his brothers and the rest of the Israelites never would have been primed for. Only David could do it. The Israelites needed a substitute. You and I, in the battles that we face, we need a substitute. We need somebody that can do it in a way that we can't. Spiritual battles that you and I go up against, we're facing a battle of darkness that, frankly, here's the way I put it. It's as though we're going to fight hand-to-hand combat with somebody who's better at it than we are. I can't fight this fight the spiritual battle that I'm supposed to fight on my own. I have to have a rescuer. See, the real battle in life is not the battle to become a hero. It's not this battle to be, man, at the end of my life, I hope people will be able to say, man, look what she did, all the stuff that she did for people and, and how she made a difference. Look what he did and how he made a difference in this world. You can slay all the giants in your world that you possibly think you can slay, But at the end of it, if you are not reconciled spiritually to God, it's all for nothing. Jesus is the only one that can do that job for us. So here's a concept that I want us all to take to heart and think about today. Stop trying to be a hero and let Jesus be the hero that he is. Stop trying to be a hero. What do I mean by that? I mean stop putting all of the pressure on yourself. We put so much pressure on ourselves, spiritually, in our work life, in our family life, like that we've got to be perfect. And we, 
we don't live up to this hero status that we, we think we should live up to. And we feel like we let ourselves down. We feel like we let God down. That we let people down. As parents, uh, we feel this pressure to make our kids be as perfect as they can. We've got this here, David hero type of thing in us that we want to make our kids perfect. You know, and I know, I think mothers maybe struggle with this a little bit more sometimes. Like, man, I want to do everything I can to make sure that my kid is respectful and kind. And then when it doesn't happen, man, what does that say about me? But the truth is, it is not your job to make your kids perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. It's your job to probably do a little bit to try to get them to be a decent human. But it's not your job to make them perfect. You cannot control, ultimately, how they're going to act. When are we going to trust Jesus that he is going to always be the better hero than we're going to be? At what point are we going to say how my kids act isn't completely in my control and I can't let it dictate to, to me how I'm going to see the reflection of who I am based on how they act? We should do all that we can to help our kids be the people that we, we think that they should be. But when it comes to raising children who love Jesus, we are the Israelites that are up on that hill. We can't do it on our own. We don't have what it takes to get them there. At some point, I gotta trust Jesus. Jesus, you gotta do, you gotta do the heavy lifting, because I can't do it all myself. Or maybe you're like me and you do, you do and you say stupid things all the time. I do. And and Maybe some days you wake up and you're like, I am going to think through everything I say today. And like four minutes later, you're like, wow, that went out the window fast. Like, we can't do it well, people. We're awful at it. You can't will yourself to being who God has called you to be. We got to let Jesus be the hero. And so letting Jesus be the hero, I think it means a couple things. Real quick. Number one, what does it mean to let Jesus be the hero? It means to realize that Jesus lived perfectly because he already knew that you wouldn't. And he died to take on the consequence for your imperfection. Letting Jesus be the hero means let, realizing he was the perfect one. You don't have to be. It means don't stick in your guilt any longer. We don't need to feel guilty. Guilty living is saying that you're still buying into the idea that you're supposed to be the perfect hero that you can't be. When I feel guilty about stuff, it's like I'm saying to myself, Kellen, you, you need to be a hero. You need to be perfect. It's just not the case. Living without guilt is understanding that Jesus was perfect in our place. Okay, so letting, letting Jesus be the hero means seeing that he's the perfect one. But it also means this. Since Jesus is the only perfect hero, rely on him to help you be better rather than tr just trying to will yourself to better living telling you it just isn't going to work. If you're trying just to will yourself to it, it's not going to happen. We are the Israelites up on the hill. We cannot beat our Goliath without help. We need a savior. We need a rescuer. Letting Jesus be the hero means that you get to let Jesus take all the glory for himself. And that is hard to do. Letting Jesus take all the glory means I have to let, like, I have to say, okay, I can't do all this myself, God. You got to do it. But as I take on everything on myself, there, 
there's a limit. There's this cap on what I can do. There's a cap on how much reach I can have in this world. And without Christ being the one that's leading the way, I'm going to hit that cap. I'm never going to get to where God would want me to get. There's always going to be someone that's going to come along that's going to be better at things than I am. It's going to take that glory. And even if somebody doesn't come along that's better than you at something, there is an ultimate equalizer that we're all going to face, and that's death. Death equalizes all of us. None of us have been able to be a hero in the face of death. There is only one who has ever been a hero in the face of death, and that's Jesus. Because Jesus didn't just die on a cross, he actually rose from the dead. So I want to leave, leave you with this thought just running through your mind today. Have I underestimated God's strength in my life, and have I overestimated the enemy's strength? Have I underestimated God's strength? Have I overestimated the enemy's strength? Because that's the story of David and Goliath. Everybody underestimated David. There was no reason to underestimate David. He was bringing a totally new kind of warfare, and he was, he was going to win no matter what. He didn't even have to get close to Goliath, and he was going to beat him. Are you underestimating God in certain situations in your life? If you feel like you're no match for certain things, well, first of all, you, you might not be. But what you're also doing is you're underestimating Jesus, and you're overestimating what the enemy has to bring. To this date, Jesus is undefeated. That song that we said, sang earlier, he's never failed me yet. Guess what? He still is not going to ever. To this day, Jesus is undefeated. You and I, we are defeated. We are far from undefeated, but he's undefeated. Even the moment where it looked like all was lost for Jesus, when he was breathing his last breath on that cross, that wasn't the end. He still was being underestimated at that point. And here's what I want to say to you. Some of you are at that point where you feel like you're at your end. You feel like there's a certain situation. Maybe, maybe life is good, but there's this one situation. There's this one family member. There's this one friend that you're just done having hope for because God's obviously not going to do anything with it. Jesus died on a cross. That looked like the end. But I'm telling you, it wasn't the end. There is nothing in your life right now that is at the end. There is always a hope that Jesus will bring life out of it. Worship team, you guys can come up as I'm finishing up here. Where in your life do you need to turn away from what you're not believing and turn to the undefeated Jesus? Maybe you feel like you've given Jesus every opportunity to change things, to, to bring a victory. What I'm asking you today is, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, there is nothing in your life that is beyond the scope, that is impossible for Jesus to bring you victory in. But I want to remind you, we're the Israelites up on the hill. We can't bring a victory in most of the things that we're thinking that are hopeless. We have to have our, our Savior come in. We have to have the Rescuer come in. Have you given up hope that Jesus is going to come in, in those areas? My thing for us this morning is let's not give up hope. Let's not give up hope in a Jesus who's shown that he's undefeated. Let's not give up hope in a Jesus that we've seen has come back from death. Because there's always a place to put hope in him. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.